0: Well, if you would, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6 is where we find ourselves. Judges chapter 6, as we continue through the Old Testament on Wednesday evening, kind of slowly making our way through, and let's go before the Lord once more and we'll start. Father, again, we ask that you would move through our hearts and our midst as we Have your word open before us, Lord. We know you speak powerfully and mightily through your word, Father. And we ask that your spirit might move in this place, in our hearts, Lord, in our midst, that we might hear and receive and put into action all that you speak to us tonight, Father. For we know you've preserved these stories, Lord. You've recorded them that we might learn and we might grow and we might be instructed in, well, I guess so many more things than that. And so we just look forward to hearing from you, Lord, as you're faithful to reveal yourself to us tonight. Bless this time, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, remember, going through the book of Judges, and I'll put our slide up here so we remember kind of what goes on through the whole book. It's just this big cycle. Uh, goes around, and it happens uh, all the way through the book. Uh, you know, the the nation for, forsakes the Lord, they do evil, they turn away from God, they start following their own pleasures, doing their own things. That just brings in defeat by the enemy and they're enslaved by all those things that they thought would bring them pleasure and fun and all those sort of things. They're serving those other gods. Finally, they get tired of it at the bottom there. They turn to God, they call out to Him, they repent for their sins. He raises up a, a judge or a hero or a... Uh, a savior, uh, he delivers his people, and then, uh, you know, the nation is uh, serving him again, only to fall, find themselves going back into that cycle. And if you just glance your eyes up at the last verse of chapter uh, 5 there, uh, you notice it says, so the land had rest for 40 years. So at the end of chapter 5, when we were talked about, Barak and and uh, Deborah and all that they did after what they did there was rest for 40 years but of course you know there was rest and they turn away and they follow down that cycle again and uh, the next three next um, three chapters are literally one about one man uh, the one judge or hero named Gideon a lot of us are probably for pretty familiar with Gideon he He does get a lot of press um, in, uh, you know, in church, which it should be, of course. And, um, you know, we'll see how the Lord uses him. Now, we've already talked about the other judges, and we kind of get to the fifth one, Gideon, here. And, again, I think it's a great thing that we'll see. We'll see some of it tonight, how God demonstrates his strength through human weakness. I think we'll pretty much uh, see that... As we've talked about, remember these judges, these heroes are people just like us. They have issues and problems and, you know, this and that. And they're just regular people like us that God chooses to use. And And Gideon is certain one of those guys. Um, again, remember, God delights in using the weak things of the world to confound the wise. That's what we're told in the New Testament. He uses those things. He Uh, That that man doesn't get the glory. Oh, look how smart they are. And, you know, today, in particular, our neighbors up there in Silicon Valley and, you know, these guys that start these companies, whether it's Google or Facebook or, you know, Apple or LinkedIn or Amazon or whatever, you know, you just name a a handful of those big ones started with, you know, or Starbucks or whatever, you know, have, you know, this one-person maybe two or something like that, and they're so smart, and they're so, you know, this and that, and they were able to do that, and their name and their faces is plastered everywhere, the, you know, Zuckerberg Fund, the, you know, you know, Alphabet guys, the, you know, Apple this and that, all those kind of things, you know, they're just, look at us, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, look how smart I am, look how well I develop this product or this service or whatever it might be, and... It's, uh, you know, all about them. And the Bible, see, those are kind of people that are very difficult to be used by the Lord because they're so so full of themselves and, you know, what they can do and what they think they can accomplish in their own energy and their own intellect, their own way of this that, you know, the Lord says, listen, I'll I'll show my glory through this person. Because they'll look at that person and they go, what in the world is so special about them? (laughs) They're nothing. And the Lord says, right. The person will say, right, I am. It's not me. It's the Lord working in and through me. That's what makes it great. And so, you know, humble, you feel like you can't, you know, do much and you're not much. Well, you know, you sound like maybe a perfect candidate to be used by the Lord. Gideon also makes a press in the Hebrews chapter 11, the great book of faith. Uh, He's the first one listed in the list of a few judges um, in the book of Hebrews for people with great faith, and Gideon lands his name in that list as well. Um, Although we see him called as a person of great faith, um, we'll see that, you know, it, it sure doesn't look like that the way at the beginning. As a matter of fact, it looks like he has a very little faith at the beginning, and we'll see all that. But in the end, the Lord... Uh, uses what little there is there to do great things through this man. And he was really a guy that wavered in his faith, but he was a man of faith still who dared to trust the Lord. Now, Before we start, we'll have to remember this, that he was a farmer. He wasn't a trained warrior. And we'll see how wonderful his faith grows and how the Lord uses him. N- not some leader, not some trained warrior. He's just a farmer. And God will use him great as we look at him in the next a few weeks and these three chapters we find him in. So let's read verse 1 of Judges chapter 6, and it says, And the children of Israel, of course, after the 40 years we just read, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, Uh, which are in the mountains. So again, remember the cycle. They're serving God for 40 years, and they start thinking, oh, everything's okay. Let's just do our own thing. Let's head in this direction. Let's do this. And eventually, the Lord says, listen, if you want to chase after those things, you know, this is kind of the natural outcome. And they start heading into this heap of trouble. Uh, Again, the Lord will allow us to do our own thing for a season. He's like, okay, if that's what you want, but... It's really going to bring heartache, it's really going to bring disaster, it's going to bring problems, and again, it got so bad that, well, you know, maybe here's a little picture of it, but it tells us there that, you know, they couldn't even live in their own homes. They they had to hide in caves and in dens up in the mountains uh, where nobody could really get to very easy. Uh, you know, they had to live in the sticks, where nobody would want to go anyway. They couldn't even live, in things got so bad, they couldn't even live in their own homes. They had to live out in the, like I said, out in the country where nobody was, and, in caves, wherever they could kind of hide themselves, because these Midianites, and again, these guys weren't like, um, uh, these These were a little unusual, because these guys weren't uh, like from another like country as far as, Uh, you know they were had their capital city and all these other kind of things remember these guys were kind of nomads you know they kind of traveled around and just had raiding parties and took what they needed and they kind of wandered around everywhere and if they had enough ability to take advantage of a group of people or a nation or or small groups of people they would certainly do that and they did that there was a lot of them and it was so bad that they couldn't even be in their own homes And this is a little bit more of the background, verse 3. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So you notice they would come in after things have sown. And the idea is, um, you know, the crops, the farmer went out there in Israel and they planted or they're, they're tending their orchards or whatever they're growing uh, or, or feeding their 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 you know, livestock, goats, sheep, cows, whatever it was out in the field, and, you know, and grass would come up. Spring, they would till the land, they would plant it, and then it would grow, and the rains would make it grow, and then just about when it was time to get harvest or picked, these guys would just come into the land and rob them blind. Think of it this way. It's kind of maybe hard for us to picture that, but think of, let's say you get paid every Friday or whenever you get paid, every two weeks. But every time that you went and got paid, and as soon as you hit the bank or wherever your money is, as soon as you hit that place, you were robbed. I mean, as soon as you cash that check and the lady's counting out the last $20 bill and hands it to you, uh, you turn around to put it in your wallet and somebody's there with a gun or a knife and they just grab it all and that's it. Every time you got paid, that's what was going to happen. Now, can you imagine that? You wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't have money to buy groceries. You couldn't even go to Starbucks for a cup of coffee. You couldn't pay your bills. I mean, literally, these guys would come in and wipe out everything, take everything that they wanted, and whatever they didn't take, they would destroy it, it would seem like here, and they basically left nothing for them. It's kind of hard for us to imagine that. But again, imagine every time you got paid every time money came in instantly it was it was robbed from you. I remember some years ago well years and years ago when we first started the church up here, we were meeting at Ramsey Park at the commun- uh, the community center there on Sunday nights for service and I remember we got there one Sunday night kind of early, and um uh the police officers came into there while we were setting up and uh And and they said, Hey, uh, have you guys been here for a while? I said, Well, we're just setting up or something. He goes, Well, did you see what happened in the parking lot? And I was like, No, I don't think so. And I asked the guy, Did you guys see anything? No. I said, Well, what happened? He said, Well, you know, the guy was using the payphone, that shows you how long ago it was, (laughs) out in the parking lot. And, you know, three guys came up and and robbed him. I go, Oh, how awful that was. He said, Yeah. He goes, It's sad, but it's pretty common. Uh, in our area, that these guys, the people know that these guys get paid, the field workers get paid on Friday or Saturday, and so they look for them, and they know they have it all cash, and so they'll just go and roll them and, and rob them. And that uh, was my, one of my first lessons of uh, how bad that was. I, I don't know if it's still the same way today, but I remember that. And in the same way, that's what was going on here. I mean, every time they would have anything, it was taken from them. And so the result was, look at verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So after seven years of terrible oppression, they couldn't take it anymore, and they call out to the Lord. Now, I don't know, if you were the Lord about this time, would you say, well, you know what? We've already done this a bunch of times already, you don't seem to want to learn your lesson, so I'm going to leave you there for, you know, 70 years or something. Then you'll really get the idea. But that's not what the Lord did. He's not like me or maybe you. He, you know, they call out to him, and this is what he does in verse 7. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, before we read what he says, I, I want to stop here and note this for a second. Notice that the Lord doesn't just send the deliverer right away. He wants to get to the heart of the issue, right? He wants to send this unnamed prophet. We don't know who it was. It doesn't tell us. But he sends somebody to speak to them about what's going on. He wants to send them a deliverer. He wants to send them a judge or a hero, but... You know, um, first he wants to make sure they understand and get to the heart, and he points out what's, what's the root of all this problem that's coming to pass in their lives. And the Lord does that because he loves us. You know, um, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes, do you ever run across somebody doing something, whether it's somebody at work or maybe somebody at home or even children or something like that, where... You know, they're doing something and you're looking at them and go, just, they don't know how to do it. They're not doing it right. They just can't, you know, get it together here. Let me, it's just better if I just jump in and do it. Let me just do it. (laughs) And we kind of, you know, just do it because they're either not doing it right or they're not trying hard or they just don't know or for whatever reason, right? And we kind of just jump in and let me just fix it. And, but that's not what the Lord's doing. He's saying, listen, I I, got to get to address the heart of the matter. And he does that because he loves them. You, You know, he wants their heart genuinely to change. And so he sends this prophet and he says to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who have oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in those land in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. The Lord says, listen, why are all these terrible things happening? I've delivered you. I brought you out of that slavery. I took you out of that slave slavery and that bondage you were in, that sin. And I brought you out, and, and I saved you from all that bondage, and I brought you into a promised land, and I gave you great victory and opportunity. And uh, I, you know, so that no one would oppress you. That was my plan, but you didn't listen. You decided to do things your own way. Well, so. Was the result God's punishment? No, I don't believe so. I think what the Lord does is He just allow them to get what they want. If you're going to pour your life and all your time and your money and your resources into all those things that I don't have for your life, that that aren't good for you, that are going to hurt you, if you're going to if you're going to do that, then I'll, you know what? I'll 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 step away and let those things that you want to spend time with become your gods, and we'll see what the result is of you worshiping them. He never intended it to be like this. You know, it was a decision that they made and there was going to be a price to pay for for forsaking the Lord and just doing their own thing. You know, know, I'm the one that has always been there for you and I loved you and I've watched over you and and saved you, but you got to make that decision. Are you going to walk with me or are you not? And if you choose to walk with something else, then that's just kind of the way things go. Because, well, we know, you know, I always like that example of Job. Because you say, well, how bad is the enemy and the devil and all that's around him and in this world? And I always look at Job because, remember, you know, the Lord talked about Job, he's great. And then Job accused, ah, if you just just take away all the stuff, you just bless him so much. If you take away all the blessings of Job, he'll... He'll curse you to your face. And the Lord says, no, he won't. Uh, he says, go ahead, you, you, you know, watch, he won't. And, you know, instantly it seems like he leaves the presence of the Lord, and when that sentence finishes, you know, he's already got his minions dispatched, or however he does it, and instantly, you know, everything is ruined for Job. Remember, first the people... First person comes in, hey, there was a big tornado and wiped out all your your family in the house. And, and yes, some robbers came down, took all of this. And this happened. The fire came down. And this all got, you know, instantly Things just how quickly he wants to destroy lives. I get that great picture when you see that in Job here. And, and the Lord says, listen, that's what the enemy always wants to do. And that's where these things point, And that's where these things leave. It's, it leaves you robbed and destroyed and enslaved. And I don't want that for you. So he gives him that message and reminds him that. And the scene changes in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a timber tree, which is in Oprah, which belongs to uh, which belonged to Joaz, the uh, uh, Azurite, uh, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. Now, Oprah means dusty, by the way. It doesn't mean TV host. <laughs> so here's Gideon. He, you know, he's down here by this tree, and the angel of the Lord was there, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, here's a picture of of some some ladies, what they're doing today in, in India, threshing wheat. And um, so, again, think of threshing wheat as this. Now, if you look at this picture, you can see the wheat here, but if you look around here, I'm sorry, you, you see all the the stalks and and then they beat it and then the wheat all the kernels are falling down here along that drum there so the wheat's heavier so they're beating it against it and flanging it up there to get the wheat to to come off there and if you would that's what Gideon is doing um think of it maybe this way it's easier to think of think of like a peanut you know, like a peanut shell. Like you ever break peanuts at the ballpark or whatever? You know, you you break open the peanut shell and you eat the peanuts out. Well, kind of think of the wheat as having a, a husk around it, like the shell on a peanut, if you would. It's not as not as big and meaty as that is, but that's this kind of idea, and the, the wheat grain is on the inside of it. And, and so, again, you know, the idea is, uh, you know, what they would do is would beat it off, and then uh, to get the husk or the little shell off the outside of it, you know they would generally do it where there was some wind um, where they could beat this stuff and the the husk would just kind of fly off and 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 fly away and the wheat would fall down and they'd be able to to gather it up but here Gideon is doing it in a wine press, Now what makes that funny is normally you know with grapes on the other hand when you wanted to squeeze them into you know uh, uh, and make them out of ju- a juice you know you would want that lower so you would take you know, your grapes, and you'd bring it, and you'd drop them in there, and you'd make it lower, and you would you would tend, tend to press things that way. You could just dump it in. And so he's threshing the wheat in a place where normally grapes would be. Now, why am I saying all this? What What's so uh, different about this is he's doing it pretty smart in the sense that he knows that these Midianites are in, in town. And um, here's a, a picture of the wheat in the the little wheat uh, kernels up at the top there to give you some idea. Um, and, and so, again, he, he's pretty smart about it. He knows the Midianites. And if they see, you know, husk flying in the wind and wheat being, uh, you know, separated and threshed there, these guys are all going to come over there and steal whatever he has. So he's kind of doing it in a pit, hopefully that nobody will see what's going on and, uh, and he'll be able to keep this wheat and have some food. So he's pretty smart in doing that. And he's down there doing that. And then verse 12 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, I don't know, maybe this little picture gives you some idea. First of all, the angel wasn't in white robes and all shiny like this picture shows us. Um, And we'll find out why in a second. But this gives you some idea that he's kind of down hopefully where nobody can see him doing this. And it's kind of funny because what the angel of the Lord says is kind of really maybe close to the opposite of what's really going on. He's not being brave. Showing, he's not showing any bravery at all. As a matter of fact, he's showing that he's, he's afraid that something's going to happen to him, so he's trying to do it in secret. As a matter of fact, it's just kind of the, the opposite is going on. He's not being brave at all. And I think this is a great thing to underline. If you'd like to underline in your Bible, because you see, it amazes me. The Lord sees me not how I am, but who I will be and who I am in Him. <laughs> That's the great thing to see out of this this verse here, and realize that you know He sees Gideon for who, what He wants to do in and through His life, not how He is. He sees. He calls Him as. The Lord's with him, and he's a mighty man of valor. That certainly wasn't the picture you see here with Gideon. And even he doesn't think that of himself. We'll see that in a minute. But, you know, I think it would always blow our minds how the Lord really looks at us. Not only in love, but how he looks at us in the way he wants to do, what he wants to do in in, in through our lives. Almost like he really, I, I guess really what he does is almost look at that that finished work, because he can see the finished work, obviously, but, you know, it's kind of hard for us to picture that. He sees us, you know, in, in that glorified state. He sees us, you know, coming through and being you. He sees all these great things that you and I may look at ourselves and say, man, there's just none of that there. But he sees in that way how the Lord sees us that way. I think it's great to to note that because sometimes we lose track of that, I think, in our own lives. He loves you. He sees you how you're going to be and the great things he wants to do in and through you. Well, this is how Gideon answers him. And that's why I say that picture with the shiny, it says the angel of the Lord here, but Gideon thinks that this guy is just a guy here, and we'll read that. So Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, oh sorry, oh my Lord if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers uh, told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So again, you know, even though that little picture I showed you kind of shows it as angel of the Lord showing up here as being glow and all this kind of stuff. You know, you don't really get that sense from Gideon. He, I, I think pretty much he thinks he's seeing a man right there, especially by what he says. What does he start doing? He starts He starts complaining. Oh, man, if the Lord really cared about us and, you know, say the Lord's with me, my man, if the Lord was with us, we wouldn't be in this situation. That's pretty much what he's saying. And, again, I think, you know, Gideon is just complaining about it. But, you know, hard to be critical with Gideon because I think we're like this more than we care to admit. You know, we find ourselves in a tough situation and in difficult circumstances. And somehow, in our minds, sometimes we just kind of blame the Lord. Like, why is it so miserable? Why is it so hard? Why isn't this working out? And, you know, in, in some way, we kind of think, well, Lord, you can deliver. You can change this. You could do all this. Why aren't you? And that's kind of what Gideon is saying here. It's so miserable. And if God really cared, why isn't he doing something about it? You know, we've heard him do great things, but I don't see him do great things. And, you know, it's hard to be critical of Gideon here because I think we can be like that at times ourselves. Somehow, you know, for the situation we find ourselves in thinking, Lord, maybe you don't really care that much or we tend to complain about him too much. Well, let's see what the Lord answers him. In verse 14, then the Lord said to him, uh, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now, I like this because the Lord doesn't answer his why question. Well, why isn't this happening? And why is the Lord not doing anything? I mean, he's done work in the past. We've heard that, but why isn't he doing it now? He just tells him what he needs to do. Gideon, this is what the Lord has for you. And I think the Lord does that at times in our lives as well, probably a lot of the time. You know, he doesn't choose to answer the why questions in our life. He just tells us this is what you need to do right now. And in the right time, he will bring things to pass. And his promise is, as we know in Philippians, you know, he'll give us a peace that passes understanding. He doesn't give us peace through understanding. Well, let me explain it to you. Now you'll understand. Oh, okay, I understand now. No, no, that's what the Bible tells us. He gives us peace that bypasses our understanding and just gives us peace. So we just choose to listen to him. And that's pretty much what the Lord said. This is what you need to do. This is the calling you have. Well, verse 15, so he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least of my father's house. Now I think at this point Gideon's starting to realize this isn't a person he's speaking to at this point. And he'll find out in a little bit who it was, but like us how does he answer the call of God? Hey hey mighty man of valor, great things are going to happen. I'm going to, you know, use you and you're going to save Israel from The Midianites, hey, go for it, because I'm sending you. And how does Gideon answer that? Well, he tells all the reasons why he can't do it or why he's the wrong person, right? Well, there's nobody really strong or famous or powerful in in, in the whole group of people that I come from. And I'm certainly like the worst in my family. I'm like nobody in my family. Kind of like what Moses did when the Lord called him to lead the people out of egypt oh lord pharaoh hates me i don't want to go back there i'm kind of wanted man you know i i can't do i can't really talk right i'm not smart enough to do those things and you know again he answers with the reasons why he can't do it or why the lord has the wrong person and again how does this how does the lord answer I can't do this, or I'm a nobody, and my family is nothing special. Well, verse 16, the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. You know, I can't do this, I'm nobody special, my family is nothing. You ever feel the same way that way? I'm nothing special, I kind of just barely hold it together, you know, there's nothing, you know, gray about this, I have all these issues and problems and this and this and that and that and whatever. Well, let me remind you again what 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. See, the Lord wants to use those things as we talked about earlier. You feel the same way? I really am not equipped. I'm not that smart. I don't have that kind of connection. I don't have that kind of abilities. I'm just not. Well, again, I think that makes you a perfect candidate to be used by God. The Lord says, listen, I'm not looking for the right qualified person. I'm looking for the available person that wants to just be used by me, the Lord would say in our lives today. And you're not qualified? Not looking for qualified applicants. I'm looking for open hearts that are willing to allow me to do great work through their lives. That that's the qualification that he's looking for. You feel this way that you're nothing, perfect candidate to be used by God. Well, now Gideon's complained. He's given excuses why he can't. But now something new is happening. So verse 17 of Judges chapter 6, then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who talked with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I have come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat, an unleavened bread, and a, ephah, a flour, and the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them both out to him under the timber tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And so he did. Then the angel of the Lord put the end of his staff that was in his hand and it touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, "Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face." Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Or Yahweh Shalom, right? some of your translations might say. To this day it is still in Oprah and the And And so again... You know, we know it was more than just the angel. Now, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament doesn't always mean it's the, you know, uh, Jesus coming before the babe in Bethlehem. But certainly in this case, we know that he receives the worship and the sacrifice. And, and so we definitely know that is in this case that it's the Lord. And and, and again, uh, you know, as Gideon's mind changed from complaining and to coming up with excuses to now realize the Lord's telling him to do something. And so what does he do? He kind of, if you would, he, he wants to, you know, make sure that what the, that this is really from the Lord and this is really what the Lord is saying. And so he says, well, let me just bring you this offering. Let me bring you this sacrifice. And when he does that again, you know, maybe here's a little picture of it or something like that. He puts it on this rock as instructed, pours the broth over, puts the the the, the uncooked, you know, unleavened bread there, and all of a sudden he touches it. The thing flares up and burns it all, and the uh, and the angel of the Lord takes off. And and uh, again, um, you know, he he realizes, okay, <laughs> wow, this was the Lord I was actually talking to even after complaining and saying how much i'm nobody and i can't do this and you got the wrong guy i realized i came face to face you know with the angel of the lord and man i i i'm going to die and of course the lord gives him comfort and answers him no you're not uh, but you know he's like this is the end but no you know again jehovah shalom the lord is our peace you know peace is found in him and nothing else so in the midst of heartache And turmoil and, you know, real hardship under the life of the Midianites. Remember? Remember, every time you get paid, you're robbed. You know, 10 seconds later, they have nothing. And here's, you know, Gideon doing this. And yet, when he hears the calling of the Lord, he realizes, no, Lord, you are peace. Because peace is found in him and nothing else. Great thing to remember. Well... Now that Gideon knows it's the Lord, the Lord tells him what to do next. You're a mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you. You're going to deliver the Midianites in your hand. You're going to go out as one man to take care of this. And the Lord tell him, now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him. So remember, this happened during the day. And now the Lord didn't give him exactly what he needed to do. He comes back that night and now gives him the instruction. And he tells him this. This is the first thing you need to do before you have victory over the Midianites. First things first. The first things first was this. Take your father's young bull and the second bull of seven years old and tear down the altar to Baal or Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock In the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with wood of the image which you shall cut down. So use that as the firewood. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So first things first Gideon. You got to take care of the home front first. Uh, And you got to take care of things at home before you can be used by me to take things and clean up the rest of the issues out there in the nation. And so we know, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but notice not a huge amount of faith, right? Because Gideon does it at night. You know, again, if I do it during the day, man, this will turn into a big disaster. So let's just do it when everybody's sleeping. Still has faith, but maybe not a huge amount. And again, it's hard to be critical of Gideon because, uh, you know, again, you know, kind of like us. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us very clearly and then, you know, we kind of are slow to move or we, you know, just take our time or we don't do it or we do it kind of not as, as we should do it. And again, you know, I think it's why is this here that he did it by night? Why does the Lord even tell us Because I think he's just saying, hey, he's a guy just like you. He's just a person like you. He's a person like us. So he does it at night, verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal turned down. The wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, well, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Verse 30, then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image uh, that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you uh, save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death this by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jeru, uh, Jeru Baal or Baal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. Let's get back. Ministry begins at home. Gideon needed to take care of some things at home before he could go out and lead the nation. And there was an impact. Because remember, his dad either built it or had it built on his property or he was somehow involved in this thing. But it impacted his dad because it seems his heart was turned around for the Lord. When everybody come out and realized it was torn down and they found out who did it and they found out it was his son, he could have... Easily had joined the crowd, said, son, why did you do this? This is what we worship. This is the God. How could you desecrate it? And how could you treat it like this? And he could have been all the rest. But his dad, you know, seems like his heart is turned around for the Lord. Which is a good thing. And what the Lord wanted, I think, to start here. But it also tells us another thing, I think, in this whole story. It gives us a clear picture of what the hearts of the people were like during this day. Because sometimes you think, well, how bad were they? What were they really doing? I mean, were they really so bad that, you know, what, what were they doing was really so wrong? And we could see here that they worshiped Baal to the point where they would defend him by killing Gideon for what he did. They, they'd put so much effort and energy into the worship of Baal that they were willing to do that in defense of him. And I find people that sometimes, you know, if that's, that might sound weird to us today, but I think there's some similarities of what happens today, at least things that I've experienced, you know, over the years. I, I, I think of families today. You know, here it is in the family, You got to get it together. And I just know of families that will put so much energy and effort into their children. And particularly, I'll I'll pick one thing, in in sports. You know, they want them to go out for sports and then they get good at sports and they want to put them on these travel teams that travel all over the place. And, uh, you know, they're here on this weekend, they're there on the next weekend, they go way over there on the weekend, and then they're running them to practices every day, you know, or every other day, every couple of days, and they're you know they put so much effort and energy into all that, and then you know when when church rolls around, it's like well we got it yeah we got a tournament this weekend up in Fremont or you know we're going to be down in Monterey or we got to be over at Salinas they got this long tournament and 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 then when that tournament's over oh we're just so tired from running around doing all these things and and, and again uh, boy but they'll put a ton of effort into all those other things and you know it it happens today people put so much energy and and effort into things that are not of the lord and not that they're necessarily wrong or sinful don't misunderstand me like team sports and going those things aren't bad and wrong but when it starts taking over and it becomes things that people do and there's other hobbies uh you know ask marty at the at the biker church, you know uh there's plenty of biker clubs that go around that their whole life is resolved revolved around motorcycles and doing stuff with their motorcycle every weekend and going here or fixing it up or buying this and and then driving it and you know their whole life gets wrapped up in all those things and and, and you know and and that's what happens it's it's don't think of this as something unusual it happens in our day and age sadly and and then you know they They just defend it, like it's so important that they do this or are a part of these things, and the things of the Lord don't really matter, and they get very upset when you say, hey, well, what about church? What about bringing, how about your soul? How about, you know, teaching your children and setting the example and all the, you know, and they get pretty bent out of shape when you say something about them. It's nothing new under the sun, you know, nothing new at all. But, But that needed to be taken care of, the home front there, so that he could be used. And certainly he did that, and it certainly seemed like his heart was turned around to the Lord, his dad's heart, I should say. Well, let's finish this up, and then we'll pick it up next week. Verse 33, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet, and uh, the Aberzites gathered behind him and he sent messengers throughout Manasseh who also gathered behind him and he also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali and they came up to meet him. Physically, Gideon was the same man. The odds were still going to be terrible as we'll see in the coming weeks. He didn't get a crash course on being a warrior or being a leader. The secret to his strength was He needed to do the Lord's work, and the secret to that strength was, notice in verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Physically, he was the same guy. He had the same complaints, he had the same doubts, he had the same all those kind of things, uh, you, you know, but the secret to his strength and to be used by the Lord was the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And we have that same opportunity today. You know, when the Spirit comes upon us, during a believer at salvation, but there's another empowerment or act of the Spirit in the life of a believer, which is to be empowered to be used by him. And again, um, that's the qualification, a willing heart, one open to use the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord empowers a person to do his will, all they need. Again, odds didn't change He wasn't, you know, got a new personality, didn't get a crash course on being a warrior or a leader of a nation or any of that. Not at all. Just the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then all these other guys saw that, and they rallied around him. And I think these last few verses, which we'll we'll finish up here real quick, you know, caused something to happen. So the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, he's going to do it, and then... You know, he puts the call out, and then the people are answering the call. And all of a sudden, all these warriors and all these people, well, some of them were warriors, some of them were just people, came to to answer the call to to fight against the Midianites here. And then all of a sudden, Gideon sees all these people, and I think he gets a little bit nervous or maybe a little afraid. Wow, this is really happening. And so the last few verses, let's read it. Uh, So Gideon said to God, If you save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if the dew on the fleece only, and it is dry all on the ground, then you shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And so he rose up early the next morning and squeezed the uh, the fleece together, and he wrung out dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more that the fleece, uh, with the fleece, let it now be dry on the fleece, but all, but on all the ground, let there be dew. God did so that night, and the, it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew all on the ground. So again, you know, he sees all this, and he says, Lord, I just want to make sure this is really what you want me to do. And and so he says, hey, listen, I'm going to put this ball of uh, this cloth out, a towel out, we'd say today. And Lord, let that be wet, but the ground be dry. And so the Lord answered that prayer. In the morning, he rings out you know, a bowl full of water and everything else is dry. And He said, well, Lord, the next day, can that be dry and everything else be wet? And sure enough, he goes out in the morning, everything's all wet, the dew like around our, our houses here. And he touches that cloth, that thing of ball of wool or whatever, and And it's sure enough, it's sure dry. And so the Lord answers him. Again, uh, God was, even though his faith seemed to be a little less and a little less and a little less, the Lord is faithful, uh, you know, and it's not critical here of him, by the way. He doesn't say, Gideon, you shouldn't have done that. And he does answer it. And uh, again, uh, that, that Gideon might be encouraged to continue on and do the work that the Lord's called him to do. And we'll find out, More next time. Let's pray, Father. We thank you again for the stories we've learned tonight, or things we learned tonight in the story of Gideon that we've just kind of began, Lord. And we ask that you would move through our hearts and our midst, Lord, realizing that we're we're Gideons in our own right. We're just the regular people, Lord. But you use regular people in an extraordinary way, not because we're so extraordinary. It's because you're an extraordinary and wonderful God who wants to bless and use us. And sometimes I don't understand that. In fact, a lot of times I don't understand that, Lord. I think you could do better things by so many better people or so many better ways, Lord. But that's what you choose to do is use people like us. And I pray we'd always have a willing heart open to be used and to be led by you, Father, knowing that all we need is your spirit poured out into our lives, and you'll give us all that we need to accomplish your will in and through our lives, Lord. And we can depend on that. And your promise is to pour that out liberally and generously and abundantly into our lives. Help us, Father, even though our faith is weak and our doubts are there and our complaints are high, Lord. Help us to trust in you, to move forward and follow you in faith, Lord. And you will do great things through us. We thank you for that, Father. Bless these things to our lives and to our hearts. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.